The scripture reading this morning will be taken from 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 5 and 6. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 5 and 6. And I will be reading from the King James Version. And said unto him, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. Good morning and welcome again to our worship service. We are grateful for your presence. We are very thankful for the opportunity to be together today. We trust that our time spent together will be profitable. We're going to be looking at 1 Samuel chapter 8 in just a moment. We do want to welcome Shelley and Kenton to the work here at Olive Branch. We're grateful for their decision to become a part of the work, and we want to encourage all who might be looking for a church home to consider the work here. We would love to have you come and join hands with us as we strive to serve the Lord in this community. In our lesson today, we're going to be talking about the theme, the allure of the world. All of us know that the world is a very strong allurement to those of us who are striving to live for the Lord. And in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 8, we read of the appeal of the world to the children of Israel. As we look back to this account, I think that there are some lessons there that need to be impressed upon our minds as we strive to live a Christian life in this day and time. And so I want us to think for a few moments about what is recorded in chapter 8 of 1 Samuel. And as you look at this particular lesson text, think about the charge that was rendered by the Apostle John nearly 2,000 years ago when he said, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. There are many people in the church today that sadly have forgotten about the dangers associated with worldliness. And so as we look at chapter 8, the first thing that we want to note is the appeal of the world. And really, in looking at this appeal, there is a desire, an innate desire on the part of ancient Israel to be like the people, the nations, about them. In verse 4, the Bible tells us that all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Look, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make for us a king to judge us like all the nations. What about this appeal of the world? What you and I need to understand is that God had already set apart the children of Israel for himself. When he had delivered them out of Egyptian bondage, as recorded by Moses in the book of Exodus, over in chapter 19, we find Moses being reminded how God had borne his people on eagles' wings. And he said that he brought them unto himself. 
And then he went on to say, Now therefore, if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, you will be unto me a peculiar treasure above all people, for all the earth is mine. God intended for Israel to be a distinct nation of people. And so you can read in the book of Deuteronomy how God had warned them about intermingling and associating with the pagan nations around them once they entered into the promised land. In Exodus chapter 13, you find God making a statement about the firstborn. He said, Sanctify unto me all the firstborn. And that included all of Israel, whether man or animal. He said, The reason, because it is mine. And so God had set these people apart for himself. And yet in looking at chapter 8, we find their craving to be like the world. Look again at what is said in verse 5. Make for us a king to judge us like all the nations. The problem was they wanted to be like the nations about them. That was their intense desire and no doubt the world is enticing there are a lot of allurements in the world it's very easy for us to become enthralled with the world and forget about who we are but note if you would not just their craving for the world but their compromise with the world now bear in mind these people are God's people these people are to be a holy nation, a distinct nation. All right? In verse 6 and following, we find Samuel praying to the Lord and God telling Samuel the behavior of the king that would ultimately reign over them. And Samuel tried to persuade the people to to not take this course. But I want you to drop down, and we'll have more to say about this in a moment, but drop down to verse 19 if you would. In verse 19, the Bible says, Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, we will have a king over us, that we also may, may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Here were God's people willing to make concessions. They were willing to compromise so that they might be like all the nations about them. I think sometimes we forget that we like Israel of old, that we are God's people. Paul uses that terminology in the book of Galatians in, in chapter 6. He says that we are the Israel of God. In Hebrews chapter 12 at verse 28, the Hebrew writer said, to the general assembly and to the church of the firstborn ones. Now what did we say about the firstborn? Back in Exodus chapter 13 at verse 2, God said, sanctify unto me all the firstborn among the children of Israel, whether man or animal. Why? Because it is mine. You and I, we belong to God. We have been delivered out of the power of darkness, translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. We are a distinct people. 
We are, as Peter said, a people for God's own possession. And sometimes the world, there is this appeal, this innate appeal from the world that says what you need to do is fashion your life after the world. You need to think like the world. You need to act like the world. You need to dress like the world. Well, the Bible says we are a distinct nation of people. And so we think about their desire, their appeal. But then if you would, note in the second place that Samuel was encouraged to forewarn the people. You see, first of all, we think about their fondness for the world. But now Samuel is to forewarn them about the world. And here we have some admonitions given unto the children of Israel. And I want you to just think with me for a moment. Why is it so dangerous for us to become like the world? What, what are the real dangers of, of becoming like the world about us? There are two things that come to my mind. Number one, the world is insatiable. If you think you can ever get enough of this world, you're sadly mistaken. Let me give you an example of this. Look, if you would, at chapter 8. And note what God says to Samuel concerning the king that would ultimately reign over these people. And I want you to note the insatiable appetite of the king that would ultimately rule or reign over ancient Israel. Now, in verse 6, the Bible has said that this thing displeased Samuel. In other words, the idea that they wanted a king, it it broke the heart of Samuel. And so he prayed to the Lord and God said, well, they've not rejected you, but they've rejected me as being king over them. All right, in verse 8 he said, according to all the works which they have done since the day I brought them out of the land of Egypt, even to this day with which they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. Now therefore heed their voice. However, you shall solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. Now, note, if you would, the insatiable appetite of this king. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked him for a king, and he said, This will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own, for his own chariots, and to be his horsemen, and some will run before his chariots. He will appoint captains over his thousands and captains over his fifties. We'll set some to plow his ground and reap his harvest, some to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers. And he will take the best of your fields, your vineyards, and your olive groves and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and give it to his officers and servants. And he will take your men servants and your maid servants and your finest young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your sheep, and you will be his servants. Now, you know, when Samuel relayed all of that to his people, they should have said, wait a minute. We're, we're not going there. They should have seen exactly 
what was going to be required of them by the king whom God would appoint for them. The king who would reign over them was going to be insatiable. He was literally going to gobble up the very best of what they had. God was their king. God was the one that was reigning over them. And yet, they wanted a king. Later, Hosea, in Hosea chapter 13, at verse 11, would say, on behalf of God, I gave them a king in my anger and took him away in my wrath. They thought they needed a king. They thought they needed a king so that they could be like everybody else. And they were blind to what this king would do to them. The word of God is very transparent. And sometimes I think that we read the word of God and yet we read it with distorted vision. We fail to, to see the admonitions and the warning signs and the dangers associated with the world. There are a lot of people in our world today Take, for example, in the realm of, of money. They just can't get enough. Well, why is that? Listen to what Solomon said. And Solomon, you recall, was the wisest man of his day. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, Solomon said, He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver. He who loves abundance with increase. What's, what is Solomon saying here? He's saying, if you think that the things of this world, whether it be money or materialism or whatever, if you think those things are going to fill that void in your life, you are sadly mistaken. Why? Because the world is insatiable. You will never get enough of the world. All right, number two. Not only is the world insatiable, but the world produces indifference. Now you might ask the question, how so? How would the world make us indifferent? Well, just think about for a moment. God's people have approached Samuel, and they have asked him for a king, and this thing displeased Samuel. He was heartbroken. The people knew that Samuel, they knew he was displeased. They knew that he did not think that that's the course they should take. And so Samuel laid this thing out before the Lord. The Lord, in a very transparent way, tells them, all right, this is what you can expect from a king. But note, if you would, their indifference. Number one, their indifference to the word of God. I said that the world will make you indifferent. Look again at verse 18. In verse 18, God said, You will cry out in that day because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, but we will have a king over us, that we might be like all the nations around us. God is saying, You do not need a king. This is not the route you need to go, and yet their response was, no, but we're going to have a king. Now, there are a lot of people today, members of the church, 
who become indifferent to the Word of God. How many times have you heard somebody say, well, I know the Bible says that we're supposed to do this, or maybe we are prohibited from doing that, but that's the problem. Jesus asked on one occasion, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say in Luke 6, verse 46? The world will make you indifferent. When the world takes a hold of your life, when you become captivated by the world, watch out. Because you're going to become a slave of the world. And ultimately, it's going to make you indifferent to the Word of God. Not only will it make you indifferent to the Word of God, but it will make you indifferent to the will of God. Again, God said to Samuel, they have not rejected you, but rather they have rejected me. God is telling these people, look, you are rejecting me. You have made the decision, you want a king. All right, I'm going to give you a king, but you need to understand that you are rejecting what I want for you. That's what the world does. When you get caught up in the world, you lose sight of what's important. You forget about the will of God. You forget about the will of God being paramount in your life. And the next thing you know, you have moved in your spiritual relationship to the Lord. Now we talk about the world and the elements of the world, and the world is that cosmos of iniquity governed by the devil. As a matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, the devil is called the God of this world. Well, the world has many com components, and we talk about some of the vices and immoral sins of the world, and no doubt those are ever-present. And you can read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, where Paul isolates such things as adultery, idolatry, fornication, homosexuality, drunkenness, revelries, theft, etc. Those are components of the world. But the world is also anything that would impede your spiritual life with God. Anything that would supplant the Lord in your life. And so anything that would take your focus away from the Lord. So it'll make you indifferent to the Word of God, to the will of God, and also to the worship of God. Now I want to just pause here for a moment. We talk a lot about worship, and rightly so. Worship is a key component of Christianity. It's not all of Christianity, but it is a key component. And we need to be present every time the doors are open. Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Why is that? Well, let me just back up to those who might say, well, why do I need to come? Well, let me ask this question. Can you give me one good reason why you shouldn't come? I mean, can you give me one viable reason why... 
Being in Bible study, Sunday school, and worship will not make you a better person. Just give me one reason. I don't know of one. I can't give you one viable reason why you shouldn't be here. But I can give you a lot of reasons why you should. And let me tell you, if you're not here every time the doors are open, you're slipping spiritually. You're backing up. You may not realize that. And let me just point this out. Apostasy in the church does not typically happen overnight. It's not something that a, where, where a person goes to bed on Saturday night and they wake up on Sunday morning and, they, and they're severed from that relationship with the Lord. But rather, apostasy is a gradual thing. And one of the problems of missing services of the church is before you know it, your spiritual life is cold and stale and dead. That's why John, in Revelation chapter 3, recorded the spiritual condition of the church at Laodicea. They were lukewarm. And because of that, the Lord said, I will spew you out of my mouth. And so I want to encourage you, if you are not faithful, and, and let me just say this. When you obeyed the gospel, in essence, you said that you were giving your life to the Lord. Don't wake up on Sunday morning and ask your husband or wife, are we going to the services of the church today? Don't even think about that. When you wake up on Sunday morning, you wake up with the mindset, we're going to be here come what may. When you wake up on Monday morning for work, do you put that off? You might miss a day or two from time to time because of sickness, and it may be the case that you will take a day off at your discretion from time to time. But you won't do that too often or you won't have a job. And we understand the importance in the, in the carnal realm, in the world. But what about in the spiritual realm? It'll make you indifferent to the Word of God. It'll make you indifferent to the will of God and to the worship of God. So, Samuel forewarned ancient Israel. But number, number three, very quickly. I want you to note how they forged a relationship with the world. They wanted a king, and so God said, I'm going to give you a king. Look, if you would, at verse 21. In verse 21, Samuel heard all the words of the people, and he repeated them in the hearing of the Lord. So the Lord said to Samuel, Heed their voice and make them a king. And Samuel said to the men of Israel, Every man go to his city. What happened? Well, they were going to build an alliance with the world. They were going to build an alliance with a the king. They, they asked for a king. God said, You want a king? All right, I'm going to give you a king. And you look at Saul. And note 
the problems Saul had in his life. They thought they needed a king, and they got a king, but things didn't work out as well as maybe they had hoped. I want to close by just pointing this out in this third point. They forged an alliance with the world or with a king. If you and I forge an alliance with the world, we're only asking for trouble. There are two passages in the New Testament that I think we need to understand and appreciate. The first is James chapter 4, verse 4. In James 4, 4, James said, Friendship with the world is enmity with God. Now think about this for a moment. You have to become a friend of something before you fall in love with it. Is that not the case? Typically when people get married they go through a courtship process. And through that courtship process, they develop a friendship. And that friendship evolves into love. And then love leads to marriage. Well, James said, you adulteresses, know you not that friendship with the world is enmity with God. If you have made an alliance, if you have made a friend of the world, you are on perilous grounds. Now, link to that verse... 1 John 2. In 1 John 2, verse 15, John said, Love not the world, neither the things which are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What's happening? All right, you have developed a friendship for the world, and that friendship has led to fondness or to love. And so John said, All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof. But he that does the will of the Father abideth forever. If you make friends with the world, it will destroy you. Because friendship with the world leads to love for the world. And let me just make this statement. Once you get in, in the world, there's friendship, there's fondness, and there is futility. How many times have you heard the statement, you're just spinning your wheels? You get out into the world. You, get, you go back into the world and just start living like the world lives and thinking like the world thinks and doing as the world does. And let me tell you, you're going to find yourself spinning your wheels spiritually. You may think there's satisfaction in the world, but I can assure you it's not there. Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul talks about those who mind earthly things. That is a worldly-minded person. It's all about the here and now. But note the contrast. But our citizenship, that is those of us who are God's people, our citizenship, our commonwealth is in heaven. Whence also we wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The allure of the world, it's strong. And the devil is doing everything he can to bait and hook you and me. What we have to do is understand his tactics, know how he works, and understand that God's way is the best way. It is the best way every time. And that's true for young and old alike. What about you today? 
Are you a Christian? Have you obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ? Have you been baptized into Christ so that your sins might be washed away? As the Bible says in Acts 22, verse 16. Are you living for the Lord? Are you faithful to Him? Or have you gone back in the world? The Bible says confess your sins one to another. Pray one for another. Could we pray with you and for you today? God will abundantly pardon. Would you come as we stand and sing?